All right, uh, you all know about January 6th. Uh, that's where uh, the rioters broke into the Capitol. But did you know that a couple of weeks before that, something very similar happened in Oregon, but the result was very different. So we're gonna bring on one of the top experts in the country about this to talk about it. Eric K. Ward is the executive director of the Western State Center and senior fellow with the Southern Poverty Law Center. His expertise is authoritarian movements, hate violence, etc. In fact, he's the 2021 Civil Courage Prize winner, the first time in the awards history that America's won the prize. So Eric, uh, honored to have you here. Thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Jake, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So. Uh, Honestly, I hadn't heard about the Oregon story. So you wrote about that and that is really interesting. Tell us what happened there. Yes, the, the, the short end of the story is about two weeks before January 6th. Here in Oregon, where I reside in the state capital, there was another attempted insurrection, a state legislator uh, actually uh, uh, worked and coordinated with uh, alt-right and white nationalist activists. Uh, and uh, he attempted uh, to give access to those individuals uh, in the state capitol in the midst of a major uh, vote. It resulted in uh, uh, state police officers uh, being injured as they uh, maintained uh, the space to protect state legislators. Uh, but the good news on the end of this story is that that state legislator was held accountable. Uh, several months later, he was expulsed uh, from government. Uh, he was expulsed by votes from uh, both Democrats and Republicans. And in fact, the only person to uh, have voted against his expulsion uh, was uh, State Representative Nearman uh, uh, himself. Uh, it is uh, a testament that, that here in the West, uh, Republicans and Democrats, despite the deep divide, uh, despite the deep suspicion, uh, still joined together, looked at the evidence rationally, and uh, gave this person a choice uh, to resign or be removed from office. And ultimately, he was removed from office. It is one of two stories here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, in fact, we, we might argue the saging that here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, two elected officials have now been held accountable uh, for their relationship to armed paramilitaries and illegal activity. And we hope it serves as a model to the rest of the country. So uh, it didn't, of course, and uh, the National Republican Party has fought uh, finding out what actually happened on January 6th, the opposite of what happened in Oregon. Uh, it was a state rep who uh, let the rioters in. Uh, there was an investigation, they found out what the facts were, they assigned a responsibility. Uh, and at the national level, uh, every attempt at, at doing likewise has been blocked by nearly all of the Republicans. Uh, there's a couple of Republicans that are, uh, are, are uh, recognize the, the danger of the situation and they are greatly derided by the rest of the Republican Party. And of course, the fish rots from the head down, it's Donald Trump who's saying do not investigate the January 6th guys and that they're American heroes. And today, in fact, there was a news story, Eric, that Donald Trump, when asked about the hang Mike Pence chant, justified it. And so, isn't the number one issue here, and when you see the disparity between local Republicans and national Republicans, that there's an authoritarian figure like Donald Trump who's driving the fascism and the law breaking 
and encouraging basically an uprising against our democracy. Jink, we are very much still in a constitutional crisis at the federal level. There was an attempt to overthrow the process of American democracy. And sadly, too many Republicans at the national level still believe that the health right, of their political party is more important than the health of this republic and the democracy, right? The process of democracy that we use, right, to move ourselves forward together. And we continue to see this play out, and we should understand that it's quite fluid. These elected leaders would not be able to do so without the support of base. But it tells us something else besides the weakness of this Republican Party leadership. Right to defend democracy rather than insurrection, and it it is this. The truth of the matter is, is that the Republican Party has been taken over by authoritarians. These are not tax and spend conversations that of conservatives. Right, this is a movement that seeks to overthrow the U.S. government. It seeks to overthrow the United States as, as we know it and to put into its place an authoritarian regime based off of a racialized idea of white supremacy. And it's quite dangerous. And I would just say this, the results during the elections that just took place are still signs of warning that we must take this seriously. And we should work with those Republicans who are serious about preserving American democracy. And we should seek to hold accountable those who attempted to damage our democracy, who injured 140 law enforcement officers, who have pitted this country against one another. It is time to bring them to account. So yes, that gets us to what can we do about it? So look, Donald Trump considered martial law before he left office. They had a three hour debate and they would have Invalidated, according to Mike Flynn, who was his former national security advisor, suggested invalidate the election, declare martial law, we'll live under military rule, and then we'll redo the election and we'll win. Right? So that is a flat out coup attempt, a military coup attempt. And Trump debated it for three hours. Now, the reason he didn't do it is, by the way, every other advisor said, we will quit. And we will blame you. And and this is no, you cannot end democracy and America right now. But they had a very, very serious debate about doing just that. And it looks like now Trump regrets that he didn't do it. And and so he's egging on further violence. And 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 you're seeing come to fruition. There's dozens of stories. The guy with the truck filled with explosives that he said. Uh, drove to Washington threatening to kill people. The guys who planted the pipe bombs at the DNC and the RNC. The guy who sent the bombs earlier when the pipe bombs when Trump was in president. And and constantly the Republican Party talking about Second Amendment rights and kill the government officials that come to your door. Now over 30% of Republicans say it's time for violence. And so this is what fascism looks like, right? And we saw in Germany how they couldn't stop it. So tell us how we can stop it. Yes, so we have to understand that the violence that we are seeing is very real. What began on January 6th in Washington DC has not gone away. 
It is happening in communities around the country. And the targets are school board members, uh, educators, uh, health workers, and uh, uh, marginalized communities here in, uh, down in Houston. We're all aware of the attempted arson on a, a Jewish house of worship. Uh, the list goes on uh, around the country. And you are right, from attempted bombings to killings, intimidation, and, and harassment. So, so here's what we do. Uh, we have to understand that democracy right, is the fear of authoritarians. The, the idea that people can decide their own affairs right, based off of community right, rather than the false notion of race is, is terrifying. So we have to begin to, to move forward and to practice the future. The practice of future means letting go of some despair. We just had a very hard election cycle that occurred. And we should take away from that election cycle that voter turnout and protection of the vote is the number one priority in this country. The Republican Party that has been taken over by authoritarians understands one thing. That they cannot derail the United States of America through the legal protection of the vote in this country. Data after data, despite what occurred in this election, tells us several things. One is, is that Democrats are actually gaining seats, right? And this is why redistricting has become such a challenge. The Republican Party understands at the federal level that the majority of Americans seek an inclusive democracy. One that is grounded in accountability and transparency and opportunity rather than division. This is why they're focusing on state races to gain control of governorships because that is one way of derailing democracy. So look, we have to stay mobilized in this moment and we can't buy into the Republican despair, right? That their victory is inevitable. It's simply not true. But how they do win is through manipulating the vote suppressing the vote and intimidating us through political violence. And so we have to demand that the federal government, state governments and local governments step up and defend democracy in this moment. And we do that by ensuring that they hold people accountable in civil and criminal court for engaging in physical intimidation in this moment. The protection of the practice of democracy right, is the number one priority in this moment. We have to take it seriously. We have to begin to mobilize. The American public has to be heard. The big lesson from the elections that occurred a week ago is simply this, that when we demobilize, democracy suffers. So we have to stay engaged in this moment. We have to understand yeah. right, that the authoritarian fight against America is not over yet. But but Eric, there's yes, that's what we as citizens and voters have to do. But it's not really on us, to be honest, right? And so we, we believe in democracy. So the Republicans won in Virginia. We're, nobody's threatening violence over it. Nobody's lying about it. We're not like the other side. It is not 50-50. We believe in democracy. They don't. And so, uh, but the, the problem is fascists usually win when the other party's incredibly weak. And we have a situation now where the other party is incredibly weak. So they're passing restrictive voting laws all across the country in red states. And you could undo those with a federal law. One is proposed, but the Democrats cannot pass it. They will not pass it. It is the bare minimum 
to fight off authoritarian government. And the Democratic Party is so incompetent that they won't do it. So is it not also the fault of the Democrats? The Democrats have to end the filibuster. It is uh, uh, it is time to defend democracy, right? Not administrative rules that have no constitutional meaning uh, in this republic uh, that uses democracy as its process of decision making. It is being used to strangle American democracy, and it is time for the Democratic Party and its leadership to step up and step forward. On behalf of the American people, we want to be heard. Poll after poll shows that the American public wants to have conversations about the challenges that face us. Even Republicans want to have these conversations. A recent poll released by Newsweek shows that over half of Republicans actually want to have race and the history of racism taught in public schools, right? We are being uh, uh, we are being drowned by a minority that doesn't even seek, right, to uh, uh, have a debate. It seeks to kill American democracy. And uh, until the filibuster is ended, right, we will be helpless, uh, both the American public and those we have elected to defend the United States of America. Yeah, and uh- Look, it's you're absolutely right. It's about half the Republican Party in that poll. 54% said yes, the history of racism should be taught. 54% of Republicans said that, a much higher percentage overall. And so half the Republican Party is bullying the rest of the country into going to an authoritarian form of government that relies on vigilante violence to maintain its power. And then, but you know why they're not, we're out of time, but you know why they're not ending the filibuster. Because there's a, a several Democrats, and it's not just Manchin and Cinema, that are actually on the Republican side, uh, and they and the reason is greed, greed, greed. They want to make sure that taxes are not raised on the wealthy and on corporations, so they're willing to sacrifice uh, African Americans and they're willing to sacrifice the whole country and our potentially our democracy based on their greed. And so until we all uniformly call them out for what it is and stop listening to Biden and Pelosi and Schumer who tell you to never criticize Democrats, even if they help Republicans, we cannot get anything done. We've got to do a rebellion against the Democratic Party so that we can give them strength and courage to fight against the Republican Party. Not because they're Republicans, but because they're saying, let's go towards authoritarianism. So that's my opinion, Eric. But. I don't I, like I don't it. see that happening on a mass scale. I see it's easy to fight against Trump, right? Or to say you're fighting against Trump, but I don't see any fight against the the oppression of Biden and Pelosi and Schumer who are aiding and abetting Manchinist cinema, uh who are aiding and abetting the Republican Party killing our democracy. Yeah. I know we are out of time, but I will just say Jink uh uh In closing, at least my last comments, I think we have to understand that we are in a moment where we are not going to get out of, right, through capitulation. We have to lean in to what we believe, our values, that people have the right to live, love, worship, and work free from fear and bigotry. And it is right, right? One of the key issues in this country, alongside bigotry, is the corruption. Right, that leads to those who feed off of greed to exploit American society, not paying their fair share, and you know 
the Biden administration would do itself a good job to talk a little bit more about the work it is doing, right? To close down corruption, to hold those accountable who are exploiting the American public, who are exploiting American infrastructure to draw unfair profit. This is a time for all of us to step forward. And you're right, we need all Democrats and those Republicans who understand that this country paramountly leads their leadership to step forward in this time. This is the moment, this is the moment history will judge them. And I hope that we keep the pressure on. Is Kamala Harris even vice president? Did that happen or did I miss it, right? Like if, 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 okay, I can't help myself. I gotta ask you one last question, Eric. If, yeah. if they do not end the filibuster and they do not pass voting rights and, and we go all the way to 2024 and the Republicans win because there was voting was restricted, will it be a monumental failure of Kamala Harris? It will be a monumental failure of Democratic leadership. This is avoidable, right? It is not inevitable, right? That the uh, the Trumpism that has taken over America can dominate the political system. It can be blocked, uh, but it can't be blocked if the filibuster isn't ended. It can't be blocked if we continue to believe that somehow. Uh, this fight is going away. These folks are serious about overthrowing the United States, uh, both through the bullet and through the ballot box. And we need our elected officials right, to do their job right now. This will be a failure of tired Democratic Party leadership, but uh, the price will be paid uh, by everyday Americans like yeah. you and I and uh, those down the street. Yeah, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. It will be more Joe Biden's fault. He's the president. She's the vice president. He's the president. And 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 it's just as much on Pelosi and Schumer as well. But the reason I mentioned Kamala Harris is because corporate Democrats told us we need an African American woman to stand up for her community. Well, this is the time. This is the time. If you're ever gonna stand up, you gotta stand up now. Otherwise, it was all honestly a lie. And it was all for personal greed and, and satisfaction and ego. And it was never meant to protect any of us. So I've never seen a more dangerous time in America. If they don't take yep. action now, it's all on them for their failures. But Eric Ward fights back against yes. this and he's calling it like it is. And he has the courage to do that. So Eric, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thank you, Jake, a pleasure to be with you again. Back on the conversation here, it's an interesting debate we have in this country. We have a lot of silly debates, and this is among them. The Constitution says we shall not establish a religion, and so the right wing says that obviously means we should establish a religion. And then we have to debate it, so that's what we're gonna do here. We're at least gonna discuss it. Corey Brettschneider is a professor of political science at Brown University. He's also been a visiting professor at University of Chicago and Harvard Law Schools. And he's written a book about this, Religious Freedom. So, uh, Professor Brett Schneider, uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, looking forward to the to the discussion, and of course, uh, what a great opening! Uh, yeah, we've strayed so far from the ideas of our Constitution and the ideas of religious freedom. Uh, the completely false idea that this is somehow a Christian republic couldn't be further from the truth. And and that's what I'm trying to do in this book, uh, partly through my own introductory essay. 
and uh, introductions to the pieces, but also by giving readers access to what the framers like James Madison actually said and what people like John Locke actually said. And when you look at these uh, 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 figures that are often cited by the right wing, you see how far they are from anything that, that, that they're purporting to, to support. So Corey, just to be absolutely clear, because the right wing lies so often that people are confused. It, nowhere in the Constitution does it say we're a Christian nation, correct? It not only doesn't say that, it really says the opposite. Um, the, the part that you hear a lot about now, and it's an important part of the Constitution, our First Amendment talks about uh, not being a, Congress not being able to prohibit the free exercise of religion. And that free exercise clause, of course, is familiar and fundamental. Government should never be able to tell people what to believe and how to worship and certainly not to worship. Uh, but there's another equally important and forgotten part, and that's the Establishment Clause. Uh, which talks about uh, the importance of our government not being based on any one religion. That's the fundamental idea that we don't have, certainly not a Christian republic, no, no republic based on any uh, religion. But it's more than that, it's also that we can't make laws uh, respecting an establishment of religion. And really what that means in, in common uh, contemporary ways of talking is that you can't make laws related to religion or based on religion. So when you hear the Bible quoted, for instance, as a basis for limiting gay rights or limiting abortion rights, uh, that's exactly what the framers disallowed in, in our constitution. Okay, there's so many interesting parts of that. I'm gonna come back to that in a second because that's a more expansive view than you even hear in, in regular mainstream media. Uh, but right. I've always wondered, and I don't know if you have the exact answer to this, because sometimes there aren't exact answers. But is America the first secular country? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, certainly um, even Locke, who's coming from England and is arguing for religious tolerance and limiting the role of religion in public. England has had and still has a church of, of England. So even the sort of home of religious toleration, which I think of as, as England uh, 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 had and has an established church, there certainly are many uh, secular states now, um, uh, and our government I think is unique in both demanding secularity from the way that we reason about religion, but also protecting it. And many secular states, uh, France for instance, uh, d don't really protect uh, the freedom to practice religion at the same time. But uh, I should know the answer to whether we were the first, but I tend to just be a little cautious in, 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 in claiming that. So I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, okay, I, I appreciate that, but the idea remains the same. Because I, I I know Ataturk, the founder of Turkey, where my family originally was from, um, after the Ottoman Empire was defeated, built the Republic of Turkey and and looked to Western civilization like America and said Turkey should be secular and should not be guided by Islam as it was previously. So America and and the UK, as you point out, you know, because I hear the right wing talking about Western civilization all the time. Reality is the Western civilization is the one that brought us secularism in the first place, yeah. right? And the separation Absolutely. of church and state. Yeah, the idea that word Western civilization has been tarnished, I think, by people claiming that the history of the Enlightenment, the history of the founding of this country was something so different from what it actually was when you're talking about figures like James Madison, he's unbelievably careful to clarify the danger of theocracy. That's one of his primary concerns, and and the danger of theocracy is partly in the possibility that 
Um, you could be ruled by priests in a formal way, but it also has a more pernicious form that I think really speaks to where we are now. And that's within democracy, allowing Congress, for instance, or legislatures to make laws based on religion, to fund religion. Really what he was very concerned about, the funding of ministers directly by the state. That was one of his most important concerns in a piece called the Memorial and Remonstrance. But he was also concerned about just reasoning based on religion. And he got that from an earlier influence on the framers, and that's John Locke, who really worried about religious bases for law and talked about the need for secular reasoning when it came to law. And the reason for that is pretty basic, that we, if you're gonna have a pluralistic society with multiple religions and you base um, uh, your laws on one religion, you're, you're inherently limiting the free exercise of other religions. So that idea of secularism in our reasoning about law is so fundamental to religious freedom itself. We wouldn't have a, a, a free country without it. Look, all of this is relatively obvious if we still lived in the fact-based world. Uh, for <laughs> example, if you said, "Oh no, we can't establish a religion. Okay, deal, Let's, Islam is the new religion of America. You, Everybody on board? No, obviously no one's on board, why? Because then you're worried it would discriminate against Christianity. Exactly, that's our point about every religion and every sect of every religion. Is it gonna be the Lutherans, is it gonna be the you know, the Pentecostals? Who's gonna rule us all? And, and so the point you're making there, Professor, is critical. It's not just about protecting the state, it's also protecting the church. Otherwise, one church will dominate all the others, or one sect will dominate all the others. The founding framers were genius. Again, we have to clarify in the in this land of alternative facts now. James Madison, not a side character in all of this. He's no. the guy who wrote the Constitution. Right? So he, if anyone would know, it would it would likely be him. But that goes to my question now. So the founding fathers, everybody loves to adopt them for different reasons. And, and find different little cherry pick quotes and stuff. But give us a holistic look at it. So I'm sure that there was disagreements, there almost always was, right? There must have been disagreements about this issue as well. So who is on which side? You can you can tell from the text who won, but I'll ask nonetheless who won. Yeah, I think that, um, look, the framers just disagreed in the way that, that uh, we do today. Uh, but some of them were more influential than others. And that's why I look to Madison as a leading light and his ally, of course, Thomas Jefferson on, on this issue. Not that they were, uh, they were terrible, of course, on the, on the evil of slavery, uh, uh, thinking it would be abolished eventually, but very weak in their, uh, in their willingness to do anything at the time. But they did on this issue really capture uh, the, the thing that's lacking in our own society today. And, and that's, as you said, the notion that if you make laws based on religion, you'll wind up limiting the religions of others. And they were both, I think, all the framers claimed at least to see uh, Locke as a source for their ideas. And in a way, he's like a mega framer. And he made just exactly the point that you just made so well. I mean, it was almost, it's almost word for word and canny. Uh, what he said is, look, imagine the, the city of Constantinople uh, at one point in time con controlled by religion A, and then in point two or uh, uh, controlled by religion B, uh, and the two keep altering. What do you have? You have a war of religion. Nobody can exercise religion as a matter of 
freedom. And so inevitably, exactly as you say, establishing one religion leads to the limits on others. And I think that Jefferson and Madison really did believe that. Now Madison himself struggled. So at one point there was a question about hiring a minister in Congress. And so you sometimes hear those who are skeptical of limits on established religions say, well, he did say this later in life. He, he, I think, had doubts about that. So, you know, they were dealing with the question of how you interpret these broad philosophical principles that we're talking about, and that's why it's possible to cherry pick because they were flawed people. They sometimes got their own ideas right, and and sometimes got them wrong. Right, but the bottom line on who won is pretty crystal clear because it's in the text of the Constitution, right? Well, I think when it comes to the question of what the law is, and the law is if the law is the text is. Conservatives often say they call themselves originalists, then there's no way that you could allow for the idea that we should have an official religion in this country. So issues like public prayer and legislative meetings, for instance, I think has been given way too much leeway. The court at some point did enforce the law and limited the role of, of religious symbols in public life, crosses and creches. But more recently with justices like Gorsuch and the new right wing, I really worry that there'll be an evisceration of the original meaning of the Constitution. So, and that is deeply ironic given that the, <laughs> the main exactly. credo of conservative justices are that they're originalists. Well, if you're an originalist, this is an open and shut case. There's no yeah. question about it. If you believe in the plain meaning of the text, another conservative principle in judicial philosophy, open and shut case. You shall not establish a religion. What yes, part are you right. confused about? You shall have no test for, of, of, for public office, no religious test. For public office, it's not at all unclear, not 1% unclear. So, yeah. but I, I want to go to something that you said that I had not heard before. So, you're saying that it's not just that, hey, we cannot establish one religion above the others, but even using religion as a basis for a law, or as a rationale for a law, you think is forbidden by the Constitution? Well, you can say as a matter of free speech, whatever you like in public debate, but there is a, and I just amend that slightly to say that if your only reason for a law is your religious reason, then yes, absolutely, the Constitution prohibits that. It requires a secular purpose to be the main purpose of law. So, you know, in debates about marriage equality, for instance, when you heard really straight Quotes from the Bible as a reason for limiting it. That's exactly the kind of reasoning the framers wouldn't have allowed. Now, the issue of gay marriage wasn't present in the 18th century, but I think if you reason the way they were reasoning, and you see that actually the only reason to oppose marriage equality is religious reasons. And I think that is true that a lot of the so-called empirical arguments about why gay marriage would be a bad thing for America turned out to have no basis. So in the end, it was really just a religious reason. And absolutely, the framers principle of anti-establishment, of banning establishment on religion or laws related to it would preclude that kind of reasoning as a basis for law. So as a matter of free speech, you know, you and I can say whatever we want. You could make all the theological arguments you want as a citizen. But when it comes to what's constitutional, laws need a basis in reason apart from religion. So if legislators had public debates and I 
like this because I'm a Christian, I like that because I'm a Buddhist, that's all fine and good. But if they say in the legislative discussion, we are passing this only because of our Buddhist principles, that oh, law, yes. no matter what it is, would be unconstitutional. That's an easy case. I don't think even the conservatives on the court would take issue with that. What gets harder is how do we know, and we could take marriage equality again, what the reason for this ban on marriage equality was when we were leading up to it. And to my mind, or you know, you could take other issues too, the limit on gay married couples being able to adopt as equals. When you really look, what are the reasons for these? We have to ask, even giving the benefit of the doubt, are there any reasons apart from religion? I think as we start to go through them and we see that they're fraudulent, for instance, that there's no empirical evidence for the idea that many claim that gay marriage would lead to somehow instability in the nation, that what we see is, look, these are, you know, it's common sense when you really get down to it, that these are laws that are based in religion. So one example is the attempt in Colorado to limit the basic rights of gay people. Rights and housing and employment. And the Supreme Court there said, look, this law is based in hatred of gay people, it's animus. And if a retort was, no, it's not animus, there's a religious reason for discriminating, the court's answer to that is, sorry, that, that doesn't fly with our constitution. Right. Now we're past time, but I can't help but ask one last thing. Look, it sounds like Madison Locke, you know, back in the UK as a philosopher, Jefferson, so Jefferson ripped out huge portions of the Bible. <laughs> they would be considered radical progressives today yes. by the right <laughs> wing. And, 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 and back then, they were even more radical progressives, weren't they? Right. Absolutely, I think if you take these supposed conservative icons and you look at what they said, and as you point, I don't wanna lose your, your really central point in this whole discussion. What they actually put in to the constitution, the language, uh, they would be seen as radical left, progressives, anti-religion. Uh, of course, they're not anti-religion, and that's the point that you and I are taking. They're, they're all about defending religious freedom, and thus the name of my book. Yeah, I, I got a perfect way to solve this. Anytime anybody proposes law that we should be ruled by religion, say, so, okay, great. Let's just put all the religions in a hat, and then we'll pick one, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, guaranteed all of a sudden they'll believe in separation of church and state. That's right, yeah, <laughs> you're really channeling John Locke there, exactly right. <laughs> all right, Professor Corey Breschneider at Brown, the book is called Religious Freedom. Thank you so much, we really appreciate it. Real pleasure, enjoyed it very much.